Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, each day is a day to, and cause for celebration, to celebrate you, celebrate your goodness. And Lord, we are particularly excited today to celebrate just your faithfulness and your faithfulness in people's lives. But Lord, as we look into your word, we do pray that uh, you would bring our attention to you, our focus to you, Lord, and may your spirit speak to us and teach us. Remind us, Lord, of your faithfulness in our lives. Father, we give you praise and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, for those of you who, who are new or you don't know me very well, most of you, you've heard me you know, for the last two and a half years now or so. Um, so you know by now that I'm a big fan of roller coasters, right? I've said that many times. I raised my children on roller coasters at a very young age, right, to introduce them, to, to get the fear of that out of their, their system, out of their minds, um, some to more success than others. But I enjoy roller coasters, right? I, I've shared that with you. I enjoy the ups and downs of roller coasters, the big heights and the big dips, the speed, the thrills, the drops, I still, I can still enjoy it, right? My neck hurts a little bit more than it used to, my head hurts a little bit more than it used to, but I still enjoy those ups and downs. I don't know how many of you, how many of you can share my enthusiasm. No one over the age of 20 raised their hands, okay. Even white water rafting, how many of you have been white water rafting? Or only a handful of you. For those who've been white water rafting, same deal. I've gone white, raft, white water rafting a few times. It's most thrilling when there's big ups and downs. I want whirlpools. I want high tides. I want like the, 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 the river to be like turbulent. That's when it's exciting. That's when I enjoy when you're going all the way up and then you crash down. That's fun stuff. The calm waters, it's all nice, it's relaxing, it's a good break after you fought the tide, the, the, the currents and all that stuff, but give me the excitement. I want the ups and downs. I want the thrill of, I may not make out of this alive, right? I, I kind of like that idea. That's the fun stuff. So I, I'm still at this point in my life, I still enjoy the excitement, the ups and downs, the turbulence of a ride or of white water rafting. But if I'm being honest, as much as I enjoy those thrills, if I'm being honest, I prefer not, that my life would not look that way. Anyone with me right there? Right? I would prefer if my life would not have such turbulent ups and downs. I would, it would be great if my life would just have a nice steady climb and a nice easy plateau. Right? That would be nice. Anyone in agreement with that? Anyone's life look like that? Probably not, right? In fact, if you were to picture your life and describe your life as an amusement park ride or some kind of ride, what would it look like? I forgot to change my slides. I got so excited about roller coasters, you know, I forgot. What would it look like if you can describe your life like an amusement park ride or a thrill ride? What would it look like? Would it look like something like that? How many of you would describe your life as like it's a small world? <laughs> nice, slow pace. 
no variations, no ups and downs. You're just going through, a little boring, but nice to look at, slow, calm pace. Not many, right? How many of you would describe your life as like bumper cars? You're getting hit from all angles, and you're going around, and you're not going anywhere. All you're doing is getting hit from all sides, right? Maybe you describe your life like that. Maybe you describe your life like that amusement park ride. And the truth is, life is filled with what? These ups and downs, right? That's what life is filled with. All these ups and downs, twists and turns, a lot of turbulence. It's filled with that. And sometimes life's ups and downs, twists and turns, sometimes they add thrills. Sometimes it adds a little excitement into your life. But in many times, perhaps even most times, those thrills, those ups and downs come with a lot of pain, right? A lot of suffering, a lot of struggles. And it leaves us thinking, you know what? I'd prefer not to experience those ups and downs, twists and turns, pain and suffering. And some of those pains and suffering, sometimes it's our cause, right? Sometimes they're a result of our actions. And sometimes those ups and downs are caused by things that are out of our control, right? It goes both ways. And really, if you think about that, you know, the Christian life is the same way. Some people think the Christian life is supposed to look different than anybody else's, right? Once you become a Christian, your life ride will look different. It will look like it's a small world or whatever it may be. But I think we can all attest, we can all agree that even the Christian life goes through those same experiences, the ups and downs, the twists and turns, the disappointments, the pain, the struggles. Christian life is no different. And if you even look at it, if you even go further into the Christian life, you will experience, you will see that you will have moments of great devotion but you'll also experience moments of deception as well. We can deceive people, and we can be deceived. We can show devotion, and then we can show a lack of devotion at times. And what we're going to see today, even the heroes of faith that we have learned to grow up and understand and read about and hear about all our lives if we've gone to church, even these heroes of faith, their life story can look the same way. They also experience moments of devotion, moments of deception, ups and downs. There are times when you read the stories of these people, you'll look and say, wow, I would never be able to respond like that. I could never do that. But then there's going to be some moments when you read about these people you're going to see what they did and their response. You're going to say, whoa, <laughs> I would never do that. I don't, think I, could, I don't think I would respond that way. And we're going to see an example of that today. Devotion, deception, highs and lows. If you've been with us or if you haven't been with us, we are at the start of Abram's life journey. But that start of life's journey so happens, it's starting to get real exciting in the latter part of his life, the second half of his life, right? Can you imagine that your life doesn't start getting exciting 
until after you're 70, 70 on. Right? Can you imagine that? You think all your life is set, but then once you get to a second part of your life, that's when it gets exciting. That's when it gets good. How many of you would sign up for that? A couple of you, some of you. I think I prefer to have the excitement early on and just coast afterwards, right? Let's take a look at Abram's journey. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. Pick it up at verse 5. Verse 5. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So last week we left off with the Lord having this calling to Abram. He had this instruction, this charge to go. And then he gave these grand promises to Abram. I will make you a great nation and I will make your name great. So simple charge, go. He makes these grand promises that I will bless you. I'll bless your descendants and you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth, right? But he doesn't give much details. He says, I will tell you where later on, when you go, right? How many of us would receive that enthusiastically? If God was to tell you to go somewhere, leave your surroundings, leave your comforts, go, and I'm not going to tell you where right now, but just go and I will show you. How many of you would enthusiastically say, that's my deal, that's my cup of tea, tell me where, right? Many of us probably would not be that way, right? We wouldn't enthusiastically respond that way. And whenever I think of this, this call of Abram, I always think, how many blessings could I have missed out on because I didn't just go and trust his future promises? How many blessings may I have missed out on because I needed more information before I responded to God? I don't know if you've ever thought that way. That's not a big point in my message, but it made me think about it. So the Lord promised to make Abram a great nation, make his name great. He'll be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And at this point in time, there was something missing in Abram's life, right? In order for all of God's promises to take place, there were some things missing in his life. One, he didn't have a land of his own, right? If he's going to be a great nation, you need land. He didn't have a, a land of his own. He didn't have even an heir. He didn't have a descendant from him, right? So he didn't have a people, right? If you're going to be a nation, you need a people, he didn't have a people. He didn't even have a child. So there were some things missing in Abram's life. No people, no heir, no land. How is God going to fulfill his promises? How is he going to produce a nation through Abram? Well, here we see Abram, Sarai, and his nephew Lot, they travel into the land of Canaan, where Canaanites are already in the land. 
And here, the Lord reveals a little bit more information to Abram, right? He gives a little bit more information. Now, again, I'm going to ask you, whenever we lack information from God, right, you feel like, you know, God is supposed to tell you some information, you're praying, you're asking God for more info, and you don't get the more info, the details, right, that you want and you hope for. When you don't get those things, do you still trust God, even though if you don't have that information? Or do you feel like, God, I need more information so that I can trust you? Okay, I can go, but can you just tell me a little bit more? And we can have that way throughout our life, right? Some of us struggle to life because we want to have a purpose, but we need more details. And we get afraid to go and respond and continue to act, go forward because we don't have a lot of the details. So sometimes we can struggle with trusting in God. But can we trust God to reveal just as much information as we need as he chooses to reveal it? You know what I mean? Can we trust that the Lord will reveal the information we need in the moment? Right? I'll tell you what you need to know now. You don't need to know more details later. You don't need to know what it's going to look like later. Just trust me to what I'm showing you now. Well, the Lord, here we see the Lord appears to Abram. Now, this should be adequate affirmation for Abram, right? Abram goes, he travels down, and the Lord appears to him. Now, we don't know exactly in what form, right? We're not told in what manner in which God revealed himself, showed himself to Abram. My opinion, this seems to be not just a theophany, but perhaps even a Christophany, right? God in physical form, foreshadowing what Christ was going to do. So Abram is seeing the Lord face to face. We'll see this later on with Moses. Some way, if we ever get to Exodus, we may see that. But in whatever manner God reveals himself to Abram, this seems to be this foreshadowing of God revealing himself to his people. Now, you would think that this is enough affirmation we would need, right? What do you need God to do for you that you can trust him? And even in the mysteries, even in the unknowns, how many of us say, God, if you could just show yourself, just, just, just like give me a light through my ceiling or give me some vision, right? But even then, would we still have full trust in him? What does the Lord show him? He shows Abram the land of promise. He doesn't give any instructions, no plan of action. This is how it's going to go into your hands. This is how your descendants are going to inherit it. He doesn't give that information yet, right? But all he does, he shows that this is a land I will give to your descendants. To your descendants. What's interesting, he doesn't promise Abram is going to enjoy it himself, Right? He didn't say, Abram, you are going to live in this land. You're going to dwell, you're going to build a house, you're going to have a big mansion, you're going to have all those things. He promises it to his descendants. It's kind of interesting, right? How many of us parents, we want a better life for our kids than our own, 
We'll always want that, right? That promise. In fact, that's probably enough motivation for you in your life that you're willing to do what, it need, what you need to do so that your kids have a better life, right? I don't know if that's what's in Abram's mind or not, but Abram responds to God, and he responds by building an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Here we see an act of devotion on behalf from Abram to the Lord. The Lord appears to him, and so Abram builds an altar of devotion to the Lord who appeared to him. Verse 8. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So here again, Abram continues south and arrives upon a mountain between these two cities. And once again, Abram builds an altar to the Lord. And it says that he called upon the name of the Lord called upon the name of the Lord. This is only the second time we see this in the, in, in the account of the scriptures so far, right? In all of Genesis. This is the second time. You guys remember the first time we saw this? I forgot if I clicked the thing. Did I click it? Yes, here it is. <clears throat> Genesis chapter four, all the way back in chapter four. It says, and to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So all the way back then. You've been with us long enough. You've heard me talk a lot about themes, right? Maybe you're tired of me saying about themes. These, there's many different themes throughout Scripture. And these themes are like threads woven throughout Scripture. And these threads tie all these people, all these lives all these stories together across time to give a, pick, a bigger purpose and meaning to see God's story throughout Scripture. And all these themes are like these threads that are weaving these pictures together. And one of important theme throughout Scripture is this concept of name. Name is important, right? After we dismiss church and you meet and talk to people, I don't think you would go to someone and say, hey, you, Yo, hey, hey, guy, lady, kid, right? That's, that, that's, that's not how we talk, right? Name is important. Name represents the person. It represents the character. It represents the identity. And we're gonna see name become a very important theme throughout scripture, especially as people begin to worship other gods. The name of the Lord is gonna be distinguished and stand out among all the other gods, so here we see Abram in his act of devotion begins to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, before I go any further, here's a little map to kind of give some, some, some picture, some context to Abram's journey. Where we started with Abram, he started at Ur, right? Now, Ur is located what is now modern, like southern part of Iraq. Okay? So he travels up with Haran, with his father, with Sarai, and, and Lot, and they go up north. And then from what we saw today, they travel back down south. And they traveled south to where the Lord appears to him and shows him in the land, right? Then Abram travels further south between Bethel and Ai, right? 
And to put this in modern perspective, right, so this is where we're at in the story, to put it in modern perspective, this is modern-day Middle East. See all the different countries, right? I mean, you could point out Israel. See those two little arrows going together? If you, if you look at where, where Israel is, you say, like, where's the arrows? I can't see it exactly. That's why I put it very small. Because it's such a small part of land relative to the whole area. The Gaza Strip has been in the news for a while, right? You would think that it's a huge piece of land. But you look at the map, it's just a little sliver of land. And where we are in the passage today is just about north of there. So you see those two arrows. That's what we're talking about in this passage here. So kind of given context God's not promising the size of Russia here in in this context with Abram, right? So that's a little bit. So just give you a little picture. Now, if we were to stop the story now, if I was to give this, stop this message here, what's the portrayal of Abram we have? You would think, wow, Abram, what a faithful man. What devotion to God. He was willing to go in in a land he didn't know about, take his wife, go up north, then go south, be revealed this promised land, and that he responds, and he goes, our portrayal of Abram would just be like, what a man of faith and devotion. Well, not everybody is perfect. This is where it gets interesting. Verse nine. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. And there, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. Now this is going to be the first of many instances where we see Egypt come into play, right? Egypt will be a major part of the story of the Israelites, of Israel, okay? But crisis hits now. There's a big famine in the land, and so Abram takes Sarai, and they go south towards Egypt. Potential crisis moments. How will Abram respond? Verse 11, and it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now that I know you are a beautiful woman, and it will come about when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please, say that you're my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Now let me pause right there for a second. What are we learning now about Abram? Now Sarai, his wife, is about 10 years younger than he is. Okay? Sarai is a beautiful woman. So beautiful. Now, I don't know what the, a woman in their 60s looked like back then, right? I don't know if they look like really good, if Sarai was looking really exceptionally good for her age compared to other women of her age at that time. We don't know. But Abram certainly knows how beautiful his wife is, right? What is his concern. As they approach Egypt, Abram is concerned that the Egyptians will want to take Sarai and kill him. Now let me talk to the men in the room for a second. 
All right, there's just the men in the room for a second. Men and future men. Knowing this scenario, you are with your woman, that's your wife, okay, and you're entering a potentially hostile situation. What is your number one concern? If, if your response is, my number one concern is my life and my safety, you are incorrect. You are incorrect. Women in the room, what is the correct response? What should be the number one concern for that man? The safety of your wife. That should be the number one concern. Abram knows I have a beautiful wife. And I'm going to go in a situation that could be potentially hostile. And they may want to kill me. Sarai should be his number one concern. The safety and well-being of his wife should have been his number one concern in this moment, in this time. Right? However, and Abram's concern is going to prove to be a little valid, right? However, his solution to the situation is all wrong. I don't know what Abram's play is here. I'm not quite sure if Abram thought out his plan, his ideas. Verse 14, And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. So I guess Abram married up somehow, right? And you could just picture Abram saying, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. And imagine Abram's getting a little nervous. Verse 15. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. That's a little awkward. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Husbands, if you're sitting next to your wife, say to your wife, no matter how beautiful you are, I will not compromise you for my well-being. Can you say that? Can you say that? Say to your wife, no matter how beautiful you are, I will not compromise you to spare my life. I don't know if any husband did that yet. You cowards. No, I'm just kidding. Verse 16. Therefore, he treated, he being Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Sure enough, Abram's concern became valid, or so he thought. So Pharaoh treated him well, gave him all these gifts, these servants, these cattle, and so forth. Now, we don't know how the Egyptians would have responded if Abram just simply said, yeah, she's my wife. We don't quite know how it would have turned out. And it made me kind of think about this, right? Truthfully, we've been in Genesis for a long time, right? 
and all the way from Genesis chapter one, verses 12. And if we're being honest, Genesis does not provide great role models for husbands, has it yet? We have not seen very good role models for husbands. Adam and Eve, the first husband, threw his wife right under the bus. As soon as they ate the fruit, God confronted them. God said, what did you do? He said, the woman you gave me, her fault, right under the bus. Here in this situation, Abram's going into hostile territory, potentially a hostile situation, has a beautiful wife, and the Egyptians say, hey, she's very beautiful. Hey, my sister, it's my sister, right? Not very good role models for being a husband. Abram concocted a plan but the Lord to the rescue, verse 17. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. How many times has God had to bail us out because we made a stupid plan out of fear or lack of trust? How many times did we make decisions because we were fearful, we were stressed, we were worried, we doubted, we make some decision and we regret it and God had to come in and say, all right, let me clean this up. Let me, make this, let me make this right. Pharaoh calls to Abram and says, what did you do? Why did you lie to me? Why did you say she is your sister that I would take her as wife? Right? It's interesting, the Lord sent great plagues to Pharaoh and this will be an interesting foreshadowing of what will happen when we get to Exodus. Now, I hope none of us can relate exactly to this scenario, right? Hopefully not. Wives, I hope that you cannot relate, and you're not going to tell me after service, Pastor Mike, i got to tell you a story. I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear it, okay? <laughs> but I'm sure we can all relate to a context or a situation where we doubted God, even though he gives us reassurance, but when we hit a crisis moment, we get a little nervous, we get a little scared, and we come up with these ideas and plans and we get, end up getting ourselves into trouble. Pharaoh sends Abram away, says, take what is yours and just get out of here. Just leave. Verse one, chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And we'll stop there. Abram goes back to where he built the altar previously to the Lord. It's interesting, here we see bookends here. We started with Abram, this picture of devotion. Abram builds an altar to the Lord. He calls on the name of the Lord. 
And here we end him going back to that place where he built an altar to the Lord. We have these two examples of devotion, highs. But sandwiched in there is a moment of crisis, potential crisis, but in a very low point, right? God just promised Abram, this land is gonna be for your descendants. But yet when crisis hit, the moment hit, he goes down to Egypt, and we didn't see that God directed him, right? We didn't say that God commanded him to go down to Egypt, but he just went. Crisis hit, and how did he respond? And I think this is so relatable to us, right? If you look at your life and your relationship with God, how many times do we have these ups and downs, we have these high moments where like, man, we can trust God. God showed us these things. He helped us in these, things, those, these promises. And then when a crisis hits, we hit a low. And we show how easily we lack trust in God. And then God has to bring us back up out of that low to a place of trust again. Highs and lows. Isn't this relatable in our life? How many times do we complain to God, I need more information? I needed you to tell me more so that I could trust you more. And yet he tells us a little bit more, but yet our trust in him doesn't always grow, does it? We make unwise decisions when we fear, don't we? We make unwise decisions when we doubt God, don't we? We make unwise decisions when we have crisis situations, stressful situations, and we don't know what to do, so we take matters into our own hands. And I think if Abram is prone to do this, I don't know about you and me, but, or you, but I find some encouragement. I find encouragement that I'm not alone, that I can experience these ups and downs, and I may make some really regrettable plans and decisions but I also can trust that God, you can help me clean up the mess that I have made as well. I look at this scenario, this story, and I think of four lessons that I'm reminded of, that this story reminds me of. Four particular lessons, I'll end with this. The first lesson is about the grace of our God. That just stands out to me, the grace of God. Here is a man who was given every reason to trust God, but yet he had a moment of perhaps poor choice, poor decision. And perhaps some of us, if we were in a position of God, you know, quote unquote, perhaps we wouldn't give the same forgiveness, same grace. But here God shows his grace that we may not be perfect in our actions, and even in our responses. And it wasn't that Abram deserved something or earned something, but it was simply the grace of God and his hand over Abram's life. The second thing that comes up to me is that I see the sovereignty of our God. I see God's sovereignty over the situation. That God's sovereignty rights our wrongs. God's sovereignty directs our missteps. And he even provides meaning and purpose 
to even our wrongful decisions. How many of us can attest to that? We made a decision that was not a good decision and yet we came out of it and we can see a purpose in what God had done even through those wrong decisions. But more importantly in God's sovereignty, God's plan is not dictated by man's actions. His plans will always come to pass regardless of what man chooses to do despite man's actions. I'm going to say something, perhaps some may disagree with this. But many understand God's sovereignty to mean he predetermines and dictates all of man's actions, both good and evil. Right? So they understand God's sovereignty is that he predetermines and dictates all of man's actions, both good and evil. But that's not what sovereignty is, is about, right? Sovereignty is about power. It's about authority, but it does not necessarily mean that God must predetermine to dictate and cause all of man's actions, both good and evil, as if God is doing, determining the action. That's not what sovereignty means. Sovereignty doesn't mean that you have to control every action as if that you did those actions. Now, we can spend a lot of time talking about this, right? It's kind of confusing. How do you balance God's sovereignty, God giving man freedom to make decisions how do you balance those things together i'm going to end with or going to use this analogy and i wrestle with this a lot to kind of understand a concept of sovereignty for a second and i'm going to use a basketball analogy now as a laker fan i never thought i would use larry bird in a positive way but if any of you know who larry bird is one of the greatest basketball players to ever play, I have to say that, but even better than his game was his mouth. He was a legendary smack talker. He was known for it. But he was so good, and these are stories that you can find on the internet, he was so good that at a timeout, he told his opponent exactly what he was going to do. I'm gonna to get to my spot, I'm gonna get the ball, I'm gonna shoot over you, I'm gonna make it. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. Sure enough, ball goes in. He gets to the exact spot, shoots it, makes it, game over. Now, what, is it, what makes that so great? What makes it so great is that he told the defender, I am going to do this, and I'm even going to tell you what I'm going to do, and nothing you do can stop me. Nothing you can do can stop me. Sure enough, it came to pass. Why do I bring that up? All right, now let's put Larry Bird aside for a second. Okay, I feel dirty now as a Laker fan. <laughs> Why do I bring that up? We need to understand when it comes to God's sovereignty, God's plans will come to pass and he uses man's activity to accomplish his purposes, right? But God's plans are not dependent upon man's activity, as if God's plans and authority is limited to how God or how man responds or chooses to act. God's plans will be accomplished. Whether we are a part of it, whether we respond in a good way or not, his authority, his sovereignty is such that his sovereignty is not dependent upon your plans, your, your actions. It will come to pass. It will happen. 
He will guide the direction, no matter the steps that are chosen. And what I want to challenge us with that, and you may have a different view, and you may, we might have a conversation afterwards, I don't know. But my challenge for us is that as we go through the story of Scripture, as we go through Scripture, that we allow God's story to formulate and help us understand him, to formulate our theology, rather than have a predetermined theology flavor how we understand the story. You see what I'm saying, right? We want to know how, what Scripture tells us so that we can have an understanding of God, have an understanding of his word, have an understanding of our life and our story, rather than say, well, this is how I'm supposed to see this situation. And what we see here, not only God's grace in choosing Abram, not only his sovereignty guiding him, even though Abram makes a poor decisions, but we also see that we can trust in God's promises. We can trust God's promises. If God shows us something, tells us, we can trust him, even though if we don't have all the information. Even if you're in a moment in your life now, you don't have all the answers. You don't know how it's gonna happen. You aren't given those details. You can say, God, I can trust you. I can trust your promises. But as we trust him and his promises, we ought to have an uncompromised character. I'm gonna end with this. I hear the kids outside. In the midst of this journey, as we experience the highs and the lows that we go through, as God guides us through those, those journeys, we ought to want to have an uncompromised character. What do I mean by that? That means when your circumstances hit, that it's a crisis, or you hit a low point, that your character is not compromised. That how you respond to the situation isn't based on the situation. Abram, when he went into a crisis moment, he feared, he doubted, he worried, and he was worried about himself. He wasn't even worried about Sarah, his wife. He should have said, look, we're not going here, I'm going to protect you. Or he could say, you know what, God's going to protect us. You're not going to be in danger. Right? We want to have such character that no matter what the situation and circumstances, that we have such character that guides our responses to our situation. Even if this is scary, even if this is a hostile situation, you know what? God, I am going to respond with character. I'm going to protect my wife. I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to protect my loved ones. I'm going to stay faithful to you. I'm going to trust in you regardless of the situation, regardless of the environment, regardless of our finances, regardless of whatever it may be. God, I'm going to respond. That gives you glory. That trusts in you. What an amazing story. As we go on with the story of Abram, I pray we can remind ourselves of these things in our own lives. We can see God's grace through Abram's life. We see God's grace in our life. We see God's sovereignty in Abram's life, and we're gonna see God's sovereignty in our life. We're gonna see that we can trust God in our situations. And may we be able to say, you know what, no matter what we go through, may we have an uncompromised character that guides our response in each situation. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, 
Lord, I thank you that we can see your hand in the lives of imperfect people. We see examples of your faithfulness. We see your goodness, Lord. May we be reminded in our own life, in our own story, may we see the grace of God, the sovereignty of God, that we can trust in our God and we can have a character that responds and reflects that trust in God. We thank you, Father, and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together.